wanted to share that gospel passage with you again because I think it's so beautiful. As we continue this sermon series on embracing doubt and struggling with the faith and the relationship of faith and doubt, we see this father with this sick child say, I have faith, but I also have a lack of faith. I have doubts. Lord, help me. And I think that's the place I want to invite us into. A place where the relationship between faith and doubt is one that isn't opposites, but one that is shared together. So here's a quote I shared last week about faith and doubt. There it is. To help us understand it a little better in the relationship. Rob Bell, in his book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, says this. For many people in our world, the opposite of faith is doubt. The goal, then, with this understanding is to eliminate doubt. But faith and doubt aren't opposites. Doubt is often a sign that your faith has a pulse. That it is alive and well and exploring and searching. Faith and doubt aren't opposites. They are, it turns out, excellent dance partners. Faith and doubt need each other to exist. And we're going to take it one step further this week. And I want to give us an example. So, shit, that was before. All right. Um, I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Someone who can come up here and help me out. You're not going to make it to brunch if you don't have a volunteer. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Let's give Brian a hand. All right, Brian. What's we'll there? So, Brian, I have a question. If I were to tell you, in this hand, I have $20, what would your response be? What do you think? I doubt it. You doubt it? I doubt it. All right. See? We're, we're doing good. He knows how to play this game. You doubt it. Why do you doubt it? You're a pastor. You're not a wealthy man. <laughs> Do you want there to be $20 in there? What if I would say, there's $20 in there, I, I, I would give it to you, if there is. I would put it back in the offering. You would. What a, what a gentleman. All right? So, as you look in here, you have doubts, right? You have doubts that there could be $20 in here. But, if you wanted $20, what would you have if you thought $20 would be in here? You would not have $20 because you don't have it yet. You would have faith, right? There's a part of you that may has faith that there's $20 in my hand, but there's also that element of doubt. Because I'm not sure, right? So if I say, I do have $20 in my hand, and I did take it out of the ATM this morning, you know, and I say, here you go, Brian. That $20 is yours. You can put it in the offering plate because you're a good man. But what do you have now other than $20? Do you have faith or doubt? I have the realization that I was wrong. You have the realization you were wrong, but you have, you have that because you now have what? Certainty, right? We all have certainty, right? Yes, sir. So we no longer have faith or doubt. Faith and doubt, when you see it, when you hold it, when you can envision how I'm going to spend it, is replaced by certainty or knowledge. All right? Put in the offering plate. Hold on to it. Thanks, Brian. Right? So I think that's, that's the point I want us to make, right? When we don't see something, we have faith, right? We can have faith in it. 
But also inherent in that faith is that we have doubt. But then, once it becomes known to us, once it becomes real, we no longer have faith and we no longer have doubt because that is replaced by certainty, by knowledge. And that is where I want us to go today. Because this strive for certainty is something we have been striving for and individuals have been striving for forever since the very beginning. Right? Since the very beginning of Hebrew Scriptures were presented with Adam and Eve. Right? Adam and Eve were created in the garden and in the middle of the garden was a what? A tree. Right? A tree of knowledge. Right? A good and evil. And on it a fruit. Right? Scripture says a fruit. Not necessarily an apple or whatever. It's a fruit. And God gives them a command. Don't eat from that tree. Eat from anything else. You get anything else you want, but don't eat from that tree. Right? And then the serpent comes along. And the serpent or the snake said to the woman, You won't die. God knows that on that day you eat from it. You will, clearly, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The very first temptation and the very first sin was to be like God and gain knowledge and gain certainty. Right? To replace that faith and that doubt and that questions that life plagues us with and to gain certainty. And it's still what many of us confuse with faith today. We confuse that faith today is about being certain about all of our beliefs. About saying this is fact and there's no other way that anyone can understand this. Because this is how I understand it. There's a problem we get into when we, when we delve into the world of certainty. Is that my certainty may look different than your certainty. And our certainty here may look different than the certainty down the road. Right? We get into a problem like this. I love this cartoon. Three guys are saying... We have the living water. No, we have the living water. No, we have the living water. All certain that they have the water that brings life. But yet drawing from the same source. And that's what, if you can understand, Peter Rollins in his parable was saying earlier. In order to engage the faith of the Judeo-Christian faith, we must abandon the need to find just a singular answer. And his parable showed that. That there can, maybe there is more than one answer. Because what we do, what we do when we strive for certainty is we box God in. Right? God becomes subject to our finite minds. And I think that is most understood. Uh, or, or the best way to phrase this is a quote from Homer Simpson. <laughs> All right. Uh, I still remember the day when um, my mom would not let us watch The Simpsons uh, at home. She's like, you will not watch that show. Uh, and then one day my pastor quoted The Simpsons. Uh, and then I said, Mom, I want to watch The Simpsons. Pastor Jim said it's okay. Uh, so I apologize to any parents who have that same rule. Um, but there's this episode called Missionary Impossible, uh, where Homer makes a fake donation to PBS and then they come after him for this donation with money he doesn't have, right? So he runs away and he tries to hide from PBS by being a missionary on a foreign island, right? So Homer does, you know, he messes up quite a bit uh, and then he does what, what you, do, he, you think you do as a missionary. He has them build a chapel and listen to what he says. 
much about God, but I have to say we built a pretty nice cage for him. And that's what we do when we're consumed with this idea of certainty. We box God in, we create God a cage, not just in our buildings, but in our belief system. Right? And God becomes finite to our minds, not God's. There are a number of authors that have written on this topic of certainty. And they use some strong language when talking about certainty. They call it a sin. Pete Enns wrote a book called The Sin of Certainty. I think the author was Greg Boyd, wrote The Benefit of Doubt and called it Idol Worship. And Peter Rollins as well has gone even far to say that when we believe in this sort of way, we reduce God to a product and an idol rather than God. And here's what Pete says in his book, The Sin of Certainty. He says, The key to seeing this unsettling discomfort of faith and doubt as sacred rather than damning task is to decouple our faith in God from our thoughts about God. That way, faith doesn't rest on correct thinking. When we confuse God with our thoughts about God, however, those, however, those can become idol-like, getting, getting in the way of the real thing, hindering rather than aiding a life of faith. The need for certainty is a sin because it works, it works of fear and limits God to our mental images. And God does not like being boxed in. And by definition, God cannot be boxed in. God is bigger than any of our belief structures or our minds can comprehend. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue God through study and trying to understand because that does help us grow and help our, helps our faith bl uh, blossom and flourish. But to dwell, d dive into the realm of certainty, to say this is the only way we can understand. This is the only way God can be understood to the world is a danger to our faith into the faith life of others. We see this warning and this danger at the end of the book of uh, the letter of 1 John. It concludes with a warning. Maybe you heard it like, wow, that's, that's a strange reading for today. Uh, some selections from it. If anyone sees a brother or sister committing sin that doesn't result in death, they should pray. The ones born from God guard themselves against sin, and the evil one cannot touch them. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. In essence, this is the concluding words of this letter. And it's a warning, a challenge to, for, the, for the community of faith to guard themselves from things that take them away from God and draw them from God, that limit God, sins, and idols. It's a warning. So too do we need this warning. So rather than seeing our faith as a certain element of blocks and structures, Rather than dwelling in certainty. Here's what's been rolling around in my mind when thinking about faith. Faith is entering into the mystery of God and the difficult and challenging way of Jesus. Because the way of God is a mystery that we are invited into. In one of his first books, Rob Bell, and I think this fits in with the idea of our faith and belief structure of certainty, 
talks about how some people's belief structures are like built like a brick wall. Right? And this is that certainty belief structure. That we build up this brick wall and that each brick is a certain part of our belief structure that we feel this is certain, this is fact, this is the way it needs to be, right? Uh, and then we build up this brick wall, this mighty brick wall, right? And that's our faith structure. But what happens when we enter a time of struggle? When we begin to doubt, right? We take one of those bricks out and remove it. What happens when we begin to study, study Scripture and we realize, well, Matthew says one thing and then Luke says something totally different. How do I understand that? They have two different answers to Jesus. Well, then another brick comes out. Or in his example, he says you study Greek, right? And then you learn that there are different translations that change the whole meaning of a verse, right? You learn that the, the Greek word for virgin means young woman. Well, what if it's translated that way? Does that change the way we read the story? And does that affect my faith? And that brick comes out. Or when you read Genesis that we just read, that, that the part of Adam and Eve is part of a second creation story, and there's a first, two radically different creation stories that tell an entirely different way on how God created the world, that we have mashed into one. We're going to say, okay, well, there's another brick that comes out because we're so certain. And then what happens when, when bricks begin to come out and out and out? What happens to the wall? completely crumbles. He says that, that should not be our faith structure. Instead, he says, Rob Bell says, our faith should be like the, the springs of a trampoline. They stretch. They flex. There's room to grow and expand. Go in and out, right? They're flexible. He says that should be our faith structure. That we're not so certain that they can't be flexible. And he says, think about a trampoline around the brick wall. Brick walls are put up to keep people out or to keep people in. But what do you do with a trampoline? You jump. Stop by Pastor Jess's office later. There's a trampoline in there, seriously. If you just want to jump, you jump. And you invite others to jump with you. You're all not good. <laughs> and you invite others to jump with you. He says, that is a wonderful image of faith. One that flexes and stretches. And you invite others to join you on this journey of faith. Right? And I, I picked this image because I love that woman lying down with hands over her face. Right? Because we read in Psalm 88. Right? Psalm 88 is this cry from the heart. Right? This, this psalmist cry to God saying, God, where are you? Right? Sometimes in a life of faith, we don't want to jump. Right? We're just lying there, curled up, hands on our face. But yet then we have somebody else in our church family or someone else in our faith life who's excited, who can pick us back up again. So, faith and doubt and certainty. My challenge to you is that your faith and belief structure may not be certain like a brick wall, but that you on your faith journey May experience your faith and belief structure to be like the springs of a trampoline. May they flex and stretch. May you invite others to jump with you as you enter into the mystery of God in that difficult and challenging way of Jesus. Amen.